Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Today's Bible reading is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. After the reading of the word, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, good morning, everybody. Um, Glad to have you around. We apologize for those of us at the back that are not able to um, view what has been displayed on the screen since the start of the service. We're very, very sorry. We're working towards it. And by the end of maybe like mid next or end of next month, we should have um, a better and um, better setup. So we apologize. So when Jumoke finished reading the word of God, she, she, she said, this is the word of the Lord. And we all responded, thanks be to God. Have any of us ever wondered why we do, why we do that? Like, why do we do that here in this church? Or if it's your first time here, why, 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 what is the essence of, of doing that? <laughs> because you said we should. Okay, for those of us that know why we do that, when we say thanks be to God, do we truly give thanks? Are we really thankful? Or we're just saying it because she said we should do it. You see, I know that there are some traditions that are bad, you know, like church traditions from past that, okay, they're not really, you know, really cool. But there are some that are great that can be adopted. And that is why we adopted it as a new church, because of the meaning behind it. Because it's a way of acknowledging God's word as a gift, like God's word given to us, that God will speak to us. That it is not for a privileged few, that is for all of us. Everybody can have access to this word. God speaking and we have it. So we are thankful for it. That is why we say, this is the word of the Lord, and in response, thanks be to God. You know, we say it together because Every time we gather here on Sunday, we sing together, we confess together, we do everything together. And so when we say this is what I want everybody to say together, that thanks be to God. We, we believe so much that the word of God is vital, like it's important. And that is why we even decided to have a series on it. You know, we titled it The Lord's Voice, and God's word being spoken to us. In fact, one of the lesser hymns of this series is that whenever we, so that, one of the lesser hymns is that so that whenever you hear this is the word of the Lord again. You'll be so full of joy and gladness when you say, thanks be to God. We even want you to say like loud or as eager as you can. One of the lessons of this series. But for some of for those of us that will not still acknowledge this, maybe if we knew that the voice of the Lord is special, you know, maybe if you knew that the voice of the Lord is authoritative, maybe if you knew that if the voice of the Lord is transformative, maybe if you know that the voice of the Lord is indeed supreme, Maybe you will give thanks. 
And that's why Yemi showed us um, in the first someone in the series that Yemi said, this is the voice of the Lord, and it is what? This is the voice of the Lord, and it is what? Special. He said that nature, art, conscience can speak to us, but nothing sounds like the Lord's voice. You see, everything in nature, in art, or in conscience, they are at best non-verbal cues. They are at best sign language. They are not the full range of the Lord's voice as revealed in the written word of God. This is the voice of the Lord, and it is what? That's why Francis showed us last week in the second somewhere in the series. Francis said, this is the voice of the Lord, and it is what? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, let's start it again. So, <clears throat> but Francis went on to say that, see, we can hear the Lord's voice in visions. We can hear the Lord's voice in dreams. We can hear the Lord's voice in prophecies. But that nothing is as sure, nothing is as reliable as the Lord's voice in the written word of God. What was Francis saying in essence? He said, this is the voice of the Lord, and it is what? Authoritative. That's why Dami is here today. Um... <laughs> Dami is here, is going to show what he will show in the third sermon today. Dami is going to say that this is the voice of the Lord, and it is what? I will say that there are many voices of change today, but that there is nothing as truly transformative like the Lord's voice as revealed in the written word of God. I will say it in four parts. I will say who needs this transformation. I will say what is this transformation? How does this transformation work? And why does it work? This is the voice of the Lord, and it is what? Who needs this transformation? In verse 17 of the text that we read, it says, So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. The, the people that need this transformation are those who are ill-equipped for every good work. See, the aim of every Christian is to be able to do every good work. You know, Paul is saying something that it's possible for us to do every good work. But what do we have? Or what do we see? In verse 13, just earlier, when Paul said, Paul started in 14, saying, but as for you. So he was contrasting with some other set of people. He said, but as for you. In 13, he said, evil doers and imposters. Or people who do evil and, do, and who are imposters from time to time. You know, some of those people will be like, someone who is, yeah, you know you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for like 20 years, but still you don't see any wrong in not paying your taxes. Every good work. Like, he's not saying that you do good, you know, most of the time, you know, I'm all right, but there's something, that one, you know. Or you are top of your career, you know, you've gone so far. Or in your business, doing well, but you still see no need to provide health insurance for your staff. Every good work. Paul is saying that you are an usher um, um, on Sunday, but at work or at home in your, in your household, you cannot argue against premarital sex because when you get home, your fiancé has already moved in. Not every good work. Yes, you're ushering on Sunday, but you have your fiancé moved into your house. You're not married to her. God will kill all these gay people. Rubbish. You are not looking forward to seeing that those who have not 
who have not totally submitted their will to the voice of God, seeing that he will repent. Every good work. You are ill-equipped. Do you have anybody on Twitter? You have not met them. You have not seen them. You don't know anything. You just saw the thread and you just bounced on it. Or you mock every meme or every video that you see on Facebook. Every good work. You are ill-equipped. In verse 13, Paul shows another kind of people. He said, those who want to live godly, but hardship, but persecution, but hard times, do not make us do so. You know, everything is, people ask you, ah, so how is, uh, how is business going with you now? What's, what's happening in your life? Say, ah. And the business is already down, like no job for months. And he said, everything is going well. Because he doesn't want to look bad. He tells little white lies. He doesn't want to look, doesn't want to look you know, like I'm the one I don't have to. Everybody's doing well in this church. Everything's going fine. <laughs> business is crashing. His wife is crying at home. His child is dying. And he said, everything's fine. Everything's fine. We're all cool. I wear suits. <laughs> I killed the interview when you already told you that, see, we don't, you're not good enough for us. And so when the result come out, what happened? They've called people. And I said, ah, I don't know why. Those people, eh? this country's connection. This country, so bad. And you did poorly at the interview because you didn't prepare. You lied. Or oh, I'm divorcing her. I, I, can't, I can't take this anymore. I can't do it. Because of some kind of quarrel, because of some kind of issue, and then you forget all the commandments, forget all the precepts, you forget how God wants you to live and say, I'm ending this marriage, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this thing. Those who want to live godly, but allow hardship to prevent them, are ill-equipped for good work. I'm not going to church again. I'm not coming for any prayer meeting. I just lost my, what's the essence? I just lost my job. Oh, I just, I'm not, I'm not doing church anymore. He says, like that old relative of mine that will come, or that uncle, everybody has his uncle, this auntie, that will come, like when we were younger, and then <clears throat> maybe she traveled away, and then she now came like eight years, or came like seven years, and then she will not come. Ah-ah! Damn it, you have grown, no? <laughs> ah-ah, damn me. Ah, see your cheeks. Ah-ah, you are like this, after you are not like this. Ah-ah, damn me, Wow. People, our children of yesterday, I don't look at her. So you want me to stay where well? I will not grow. <laughs> if people say that about our feast, do people say the same thing? Do people not say the same thing? If someone comes to ask you, will the person not say, since, have you grown in your spiritual life? Have you advanced? Or are you not the same kind of Christian that you were 20 years ago? Are you not the same kind of Christian you were 10 years ago? Are you not the same kind of Christian 8 years ago? You need to ask yourself, is my life producing every good work? Can you say that you are changing, you are growing, you are improving steadily, that you are doing more good on a consistent basis, that you are rising more than you are falling? Or have you become what my favorite rapper, Kendrick Lamar calls, backpedaling Christians who settle for forgiveness? But why are we not transformed? We listen to voices other than the Lord's voice. You see, there are two kinds of voices that we listen to. The voices of others and our own voice. The voice of others, you know, you have only one life to live. You know, enjoy now that you're young. Just one life. Or those who even do it for the pulpit to tell you, you see, you cannot do evil. You cannot do evil. You are born of the Spirit. You see, when that person I see is not you. It's, it's, you are a new man. You can't, it's not you. 
And so that prevents us from changing. That prevents us from transforming. That prevents us from producing every good work. When First John says repeatedly that those whose life are not righteous, they say they do not know Christ at all. Who consistently sin, they don't know Christ. They're not, they're not among us. Or those who tell you it's your background, you know, the psychology says it's your background, it's not you can know, but if your family loves you more when you are young, you know, you won't turn out like this. You won't be like this. It's your family, it's your background. You know, there's nothing. Just, you know, just 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 take it, making you passive. Or someone who says, ah, look at what you built for yourself, look at the career, look at where you are going in life. Then you will not allow this pregnancy to finish your career. Look at your CV, look at what you've done. Or look at the kind of car, look at, look at how you are going. How can you not allow this pregnancy? Come on, go about this thing, Joe. I don't even know why we're having this conversation. You're very stupid, though. Voices of others. Or you listen to your own voice. You say, that's just the way I am, you know. But overall, I'm not too bad like that. I'm not too. I still do uh, once in a while now, you know. And I, I do some style work in church. I still give, you know, from time to time. You know, people don't know what it's like to be me. People don't know what it's like to be me. Things, people don't know. If people knew me, if you know what I know, <laughs> if, if you have seen what I've seen, you won't, you, you won't be, people will not be saying these things. Okay, what about what other people do? What about, what about what? Everybody is doing it. Everybody is doing it. There's nothing. Who is not doing? Who is not, who is not doing it? Who is not doing it? Who is not doing it? Sleep around. Just a small thing. Or we, as a church, we do not compare ourselves with the scripture. We compare ourselves to other churches. We say, at least we have good theology. Or we have transparent leadership. Our pastor is cool. <laughs> but our prayer life, is it growing? Are we growing our prayer lives? Are we being more generous as a church? We are ill-equipped for every good work. So you see, your own voice is not transformative. The voice of others are not transformative. Is the context of bringing personal history, your biology, yes, I know they can shape, they can trigger, they can reinforce stuff. It's but we mostly choose our response. And our response is determined by our desires and our thoughts. Only the Lord's voice will do. And that's why Hebrews 4.12 says, He said, for the word of the Lord is alive and active. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It passes to dividing and sunder of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and the marrow, of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It gets down to those desires and those thoughts and those intents. This is the voice of the Lord. And it is what? So what is this transformation? We, we, some of us try, we attempt to change ourselves, we attempt to transform ourselves. You know, two ways. There's this by myself good works or, you know, right conditions good works. You know, I will, by myself is like, I will do okay, you know, I'm, I, can, I can make this thing work. Just, just set a plan here and there. Just, just, I've, not just, I've not just been serious with it, you know. I've not really, I know this is right. I can, I, can, I, can, I can make it right. I'm okay by myself. You know the times you try that with Bible reading? But then after like two or three times, you know, you just give up. Then you just discover that actually you love the sin. It's the consequences that you ate. See, in verse 13 of that place, Paul says that evil doers and imposters will keep going from bad to worse. There's no, you can't, there's no maintaining. 
is you follow your own voice or you follow the voice of others, you keep going from bad to worse. It increases. See someone. Someone. He said, blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked, who does not stand in the way with sinners, or who does not sit in the company of the mockers. He says, it starts with walking. It's as though you are walking in someone's shoes or in someone's moccasins, as D.A. Carson says. It. it is first you adopt the motives, you adopt the ideas of the world, you adopt it in, and then you just, I know, what exactly, man? We just take things so seriously, man, as Christians in church. I don't know. You start adopting it. And then you now start practicing the evil sin gradually. You just, you just start in the air right there. And then the third stage, you say, sit in common. You now begin to mock those who do not live like you. Your eyes have not opened. See, that's what you are still doing. I don't know. I don't know what kind of. We have gone to a higher level. And then you start mocking others. That is how it progresses. You don't stay in a place. You see, evil doers and impostors keep going from bad to worse. That is by myself, good works. In the right condition, these are the people you call the imagine me. You know, you just wake up in the morning and you're singing that, um, that kind of flag. Imagine me. No, 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 insecurities. Or that is just 6.30 a.m. Or is it Monday? That's just Monday of the week. Or that's just the beginning of the year. But then just give, just give it to like Wednesday when they have bombarded you with work. They have bombarded you with obstacles from here. Your wife, your boss, your neighbor, everything have come from different side, angle. End of the year, it's like around maybe November or something. Or your kids are now in the car like 8.30 30 and they're just making noise. Shut up, you stupid children. <laughs> I can't take this from you. What you discover is that you don't really know how to change. And you keep saying that conditions is conditions is conditions. But Paul says in verse 13, he said that those who want to live godly life will face persecution. The conditions will never change. Things will always be hard and hard and harder for you. So what is this transformation? It's like a plumber comes to your house or a carpenter comes to your house. I mean, he comes to fix stuff. I come to my house before they come and fix stuff. And then he just does one small stuff. Remember, I met him on the road. just thought it was small stuff. And he came and he checked it. He now looked at it and I said, ah, man, this, ah, bros. <laughs> bros, I, I need equipment, though. I need equipment. And what does Paul say in verse 17? He says, so, he says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, your confession is, what we actually need is, you say, ah, damn it, yes, it's true. I, I need equipment. What you actually need, you need thorough equipping. That's what Paul says. He says, maybe thoroughly equipped. You need thorough equipping. Hebrews 4 say the word of God is a confirmed equipment. He says it's sharp. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is powerful. It is confirmed equipment. This transformation is the character-shaping process of gaining more and more victory over sin and the flesh. And no matter the condition of the world around you, that results in you doing every good work. And what you need is the word of the Lord, the Lord's voice. Psalm 19 says, the word of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Ephesians 5, 26 says that it is by the word of God. We are changed by the washing of the word of God. That is how we change. This is the voice of the Lord. And it is what? So how does, this trans- how does it transform? Or how does it work? How does this equipping work? How do you go from adding faith, like Peter says, experience, goodness, perseverance, like more and more. He said, prove your election. You see, Paul does not say that 
don't behave like the people. Paul does not say that stop doing evil. Paul does not say stop being an imposter. Paul does not say just be strong or don't join a band gang. He said that's not bad. He said similar stuff earlier in, in, in the book. But Paul is saying that is not the primary way you change. That is not the primary way you transform. That is not the primary way you produce every good work. Paul says that you want to do good work in verse 16 to 17. He says all scripture is useful. Joshua in an evil Canaan, he had, was going to leave people to the people of God to the promised land. A lot for him to do. Too much evil in the place. Jebusad, all kinds of people. What did God tell him? After God had told him, be strong, be courageous. He said, keep this book of the law. Joshua 1 verse 8. On your mouth, day and night, meditating on it. You want to be transformed? You want to transform these people? You want to transform this land? Keep the book of the law. In Psalm 1, he said, blessed is the man who does not, who does not, who does not. He said, but... In the law of God, the answer is not by not doing what we are not doing. It is by continuing the word of God. The word of God is the equipment. The word of God is the tool. The word of God is, it is what we need. And some of us will be saying, I know the word of God. I've been learning since. You know how long I've been going to Sunday school. Now, you want to use small boy like you. Sunday school. You do this Sunday school now. Sunday school. Then we have this long service. You know, all kinds of what you say. Um... I've been reading the word of God, so I don't know what you are saying about the word of God. I can't see this transformation in my life. But in Psalm 1, the psalmist did not say, blessed is the man who reads, or blessed is the man who hears, or blessed is the man who listens to someone's podcast, or blessed is the man who loves theology, or blessed is the man who preaches the word, or blessed is the man who goes to church regularly. You say, blessed is the man who meditates. To meditate is to delight in God's word over what the word is saying. It's to delight in hearing God's voice over your own voice or the voices of others. You get deep. It's to think upon God's word so much that it becomes real to you. Till it becomes sweet. Till you can sense it. Till it burns your heart. See, Psalms, the book of Psalms is an example. The whole of Psalms, most of the Psalms are, are written by people who have meditated a lot upon the word of God and then pray out as a result. But how can someone, it's not the same word of God we are reading. And then someone is saying in Psalm 19, he said, the word of the Lord is sweeter to me than honeycomb. Than honey. The word of the Lord is sweeter to me than, uh, than antichemist fresh. Do you believe that? <laughs> the word of the Lord is sweeter to me than Thomas's chips. Than Thomas's cake. In your mind, you say, ah, oh, that one will be lying. That one will lie. <laughs> you see? But the psalmist has this experience. How does the psalmist get to this point? Psalm 119, which is a psalm of about 176 verses, is an entire meditation on the law of God. An entire meditation. He's talking about nothing other than the word of God. 176, the longest psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible. Then you keep seeing, in fact, they say the psalm was written such that every stanza, it be, every stanza begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet up to the end. So you have 22 Hebrew alphabets, and he uses all the Hebrew alphabet to begin every stanza. Was the psalmist trying to tell us that the word of God is the A to Z of our lives? For a guy who is trying to battle with pornography, in verse 9, it tells you, is it how does a young man keep his way pure? Is it by keeping your word? 
He says, in that Psalm 1, he says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. About 30 times throughout Psalm 109, the psalmist is saying, God, teach me your word. God, make me understand your word. Make it alive over 30 times. That is the most important thing he said throughout Psalm 109. See, meditation is not so much talking to God, but talking to your heart, talking to the seat of your desires, talking to the seat of your thoughts, talking to the seat of your intents with the truth of God's word. Can't you see what Psalm 103 is like? He said, he said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless, it was my soul. It is taking the truth of God's words, these things, and then bringing it into your heart and making it till it gets real. You do not leave it. He said, my soul, why are you downcast within me? In God's word, I praise. In God, whom I trust. See, this is how you do meditation. You look at the text. You look at the scripture. You say, what does it say about God? What does it say about Christ? You look at it and say, what does this text, what does this, what does this verse, what does it say about me? What does it say about mankind? When you get that, you say, hmm, what truth in this text is so compelling? Like, you look at it, so this thing is me here. You take that, and then you say, if this truth is so real in my life, if this truth, let's imagine that this truth has become real in my life, how will I live differently? Or you ask yourself, this thing I'm reading, why is God showing me this now? You consider your life this week, last night, yesterday, why would God be showing me this now? You do not just ask the text questions. You allow the text to ask you questions. See, late last week, I was preparing for someone. I knew I was going to preach since. And then I came to church late. I was walking last night. I came to church late. It's like, walker. You know, thank God Pastor Femi was not around. <laughs> you know? But as I walked into the church, and I said, why would I? Because I'm praying for someone, and I will not come early. For, for, for my work, I mean, there's something wrong. You cannot say because you're someone you don't come for work. You're supposed to work. You're supposed to find a way. And then I was reading, and I read Psalm 55, and I got to 22. And he said, cast your cares upon the Lord, and it will sustain you. I will not let the righteous to be shaken. I discovered that I've been trying to do the sermon for the past few days by my own strength. I've just been thinking and laboring through the night, not sleeping. And said, so what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? And I've not cast my cares upon God. And then I repented. And I said, oh, God, I'm sorry. You write there on the table and say, God, I'm sorry that I've just been casting it on myself. I've been listening to my own voice that I, I can do this if I get the right illustration, if I get the right text, if I get the right that. Well, like last week ago, I was telling Timmy that when I go to GC, that one fear that I've been dealing with for a long time is the fear of old age. I fear the pain. Like, what kind of things is going to be? Am I going to be blind? Am I going to be... Or am I going to have back pain? Even now, I even have some back pains already. I'm looking at 20-something, I have back pain, man. I don't believe in that at all. And I was just worried and worried and forgetting all the things that God is doing in my life. All the, how my inward mind is renewed, or how my, I just look at my outward man. And I'll go home. Sometimes I'll just go home. I'll go to and look at my daddy's pictures when he was doing something. I'll look at him and find fresh, and I'll look at him and I'll say, <laughs> And then I went to Psalm 71. And then from verse 5, I was reading Psalm 71. And said, For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence is my youth. From birth I have relied on you. 
You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. Went to verse 9. Do not cast me when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God. Till I declare your power to the next generation. Your mighty act to all who have come. And it just, wow, wow, you know. Distrustful me. And I penned in my journal and say, I am so focused on my outward man, I forget what you are doing inside me, oh God. I forget how I am growing in wisdom. I forget how I am, you put me in a community with wise people when you are making me, my inward man is growing more and more, more and more. Though my outward man may perish, but my inward man is being growing more and more to the to the perfect day. I repented and prayed and I cast, and I started to look at this and I wrote this text down and just keep meditating on them. Just keep meditating on them until I lose this feeling and these thoughts. So you look at God, so you adore God for something, you admit I are doing wrong, and then you say, God, this I want to, you aspire. You say you admit you adore God for what you see in the text. You admit I have been falling short. And then you say, God, this is I want to be doing, you aspire. Look at verse 16 in the text. Paul says, all scripture. You see, all scripture does not just mean the old Bible. It does not mean every chapter. It means every text of scripture is useful. Every text. Every. That's what it means. It doesn't say every text of scripture is useful. See, scripture is only useful if you use it. See, scripture is not for storage. It's for usage. Scripture is not for information. It's for formation. Problem is that we don't know how or we overdo. You know, some of us do the MMM method. You know, have you done it before? I've done it before, man. You just, God, I don't know what you want to say to me today. I don't know, you know. I don't know. I'll look, anywhere I just open to, let it be your word speaking to me. Let it be your word speaking to me. And then you just you open. Like time I was liking a girl when I was very young. And then I just, and then I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so I, I, don't, I just want to know if it's the person. Like, she don't want. And I just open the Bible, and I open to Proverbs 8 and Proverbs 7. And I'm just saying, strange woman, strange woman, strange woman. MMM method, that's MMM. Or you use the room service method. Room service. Just devotional. Or just... You just go online, you know, you just go and look for your favorite pastor, your preacher, you just take one devotion or something, and then you just, whatever you are saying, you just jump about on one text scripture, you even, sometimes you don't connect, you just take one verse, forget the many parts, all kinds of stuff. How long will you be feeding with water, but with botsu? Use a feeding botsu. How long? Well, the last one I have is the feed farm method. <laughs> the feed farm method is you cherry pick. Proverbs or Psalms, those are my things, you know, just, I just love how it makes me, you know, what God does to me in those places. <laughs> Leviticus, Revelation, Epistles. Paul says every text, every text of Scripture. Paul, in fact, shows us, he shows us um, four ways that we should continue to use Scriptures. He shows us four ways to continue to use in verse 16 and verse 14. He says, Scripture is useful for teaching. Scripture is useful for rebuking. Scripture is useful for correcting. Scripture is useful for training. So the teaching is, what's good? 
the way you use scripture for teaching is it shows you what's good. This teaching here does not refer to the process like someone teach from me. Say it refers to the content of what is in stuff. It is, it is the body of content. It's the old stuff that you need to know that you'll be able to build your life upon so that you can live right. You see, you cannot build your life. You can't build your life upon what you don't know. So this teaching refers to the contents of the stuff. It is answering life's hardest question, using the thing, who is God? And this does not always mean that you go through thinking. It means sometimes you have to go through chapters. It means sometimes you have to go through books. It means that sometimes the BRC camp is mandatory. It's mandatory. <laughs> you answer questions like, who is God? But you read the whole of Genesis, you begin to say, hmm. So this world was carefully formed and made in love. So I should take care of my environment. One of the implications. Or you read the whole of prophets. You stay on it. I'm just, you go through it and then you see that, wow, they are poor people. They exist, man. And God loves them. God wants to take care of them. You don't have a poor guy just coming to knock on your door and just, oh, they are all useless. You're going to find something to do. No, you read prophets and you don't think that way anymore. Not like you start giving to every poor nation, but you don't think that way about poor, poor people anymore. You see, next one is, so you, so you want to memorize, you want to store the scripture for prevention. It's what like Ephesians 6, 17 is saying. You say, the sword of Christ. It is, that word there is, is rema. It refers to precise use. Like accurate, precise, specific statement use of scripture. It is what Jesus was doing at the temptation. And then he brings this. And God said, it is written, direct. But how would you know what to apply? How would you know what to use when you've not? Story. It is written, it is written, it is written. How would I know while I stay back and I'm just thinking, there's something wrong. God, I know there's something I should do about my GC. I don't know, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what I should do about my GC. What's happening? And then just remember, in somewhere, when somebody came to the people and David said, and somebody said to them, he said that he said, God would not allow me to sin by not praying for you. How would I have known that by not praying for my GC I was sinning? Like sin, it's not like by not praying for my friends, by not praying for my family, is sin. How would I have known? How would I have stumbled upon it? It's good for rebuking. It shows you that this is not good. This is in part to the teaching. It's trying to form the doctrine, trying to form the content of our life. It convicts us of sin, convicts us of error. This is what the, this rebuking is. It shows us what the false voices are. Because sometimes we become so used to our environment and the people and to our own voice that we do not know what is false or wrong. The word of God tries to direct us in a path that we should. It's a rebuking and a teaching. It's what we have in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 to 13. See, these words have been written for our warning. But some of what we don't understand, you, you, you start reading the Bible and then you don't understand and then you just leave it. You continue. Or you, you start with such a rigid plan. You've never like, read the Bible in years or consistently and then you don't want to go with one ESV plan or one U version. Mighty plan. You guys just come together. And then what we just start seeing is that after like five days, ah, it will go, what's happening? Like, you've not seen since the day before yesterday. <laughs> or you see that you've not, it's too high a plan. Or because you started a plan, and then you're falling behind. You find you don't preach and so quit. Evil, 
doers and impostors go from being bad or worse. You cannot because of that. It's also good for correcting and for training. Right? After he has rebuked you and said, this is wrong, this is bad, he builds you up for your weakness. You know, some people have gone so bad in their life, they've done so bad in their life. You know, some people, or young people, you know, maybe do, it can be likened to, if you've gone so bad, maybe you're like 18, 20, you've, you've, done, you've really lived a bad life. It's like you're riding a, a bicycle. You're riding a bicycle. It's, ah, no, that place you're going is wrong. Eh, ah, they're going to finish it up. Eh, they're fighting. Okay, you just turn. Simple. You're like 30. It's like someone that is driving a car. <laughs> yeah, you can turn, but you have to look for a good space. We'll go back, wine, and then we'll turn back. You see, if you've gone so far in evil doing and posting, it is so hard for us that you are not a truck, trailer. <laughs> that place you are going, you are finished, though. And then you just, people will be telling, ah, that place you are going to go, say, I know. <laughs> that place you are going, you are going to, uh, I know. Uh, what can I do? The word of God is able to correct. No matter the voice of the word, your voice may not be able to bring back. It can turn back yeah. the trailer. Yeah. No matter how bad you've gone. Yeah. It's good for training. This is like designing the word of God. You know, The way babies want milk. It talks about bringing up a child. It talks about growing us up like a child. It is about nourishing us. In different ways. In verse, um, in verse 15, we see Paul saying, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scripture. You see, this is, is good. All adults, everyone, important. You see, can train us, for instance. If you are doing a Bible plan, if you're using a machine Bible plan, for instance, what you begin to notice, more and more machine, one of the, um, I feel like that's one of the most important innovations, like in Bible, in like, in, I mean, I feel it's one of the most important innovations in, in Bible, in, like in Christianity, the more machine plan. What you begin to see is how different parts of scripture connect. So, for instance, on the day you are reading, um, on the day when you are reading, and for instance, I want to give you a very good example. On Psalm, on for instance, so one day I'm reading a particular Psalm, and then I think it's Psalm 75 or 76, and then that same day I was reading 1 Peter 4. And 76, he's saying, You see, the Lord puts burdens on our backs, the Lord brings us through fire and water, but He's refining us like silver. No, but it's out of it is bringing us an abundance. I'm saying, oh, so my suffering, so the pain I'm going through, so this sickness I'm having, mm, refining, like sickness for refining, so that I didn't, I'm not coming out of silver. I try to meditate on it. I use all the things I said, I, the way I've described it, I bring it in. But I now go to first Peter and I see, he said, count it all joy when you go through. He said, this thing is working out something. I'm looking, ah, are these guys conniving against me? <laughs> You begin to see. This is how he's building you up and training you. But I want to say something about our kids. Because Paul said, an hour from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. In verse 15. Why do you worry so much about our kids? How they will turn? Why do we, why do we worry so much? How is, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, I, 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 you, you just see our parents are worried about their kids, about the children. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm doing all I need to do. I'm not sure I'm, I'm, not sure I'm putting them where I should put them. I'm not sure. Why not just turn them over to the Lord's voice? Why not just turn them to the one who made them and created them? There's a limit to what you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you lead them like Eli to the Lord and say, no, go and hear God. Oh, um, 
Ah, TJ, what is the new animation that is in this thing now? PG, PG, oh, PG. Um, like, any good animation, anything that I can watch? That's not bad. Well, have you asked Pastor, have you asked Funke, what resource, what resource can I start using for my, for my son, for my daughter? What resource can I be using for her now? Well, how can I catechize her? Or you try to play three instruments, you try to learn four languages, you try to swim, you dance, you try to code. Everything together, and it's just five or seven. <laughs> but does she know who God is? Does she know what Jesus has done? She's still small, ah, but the can, she can build websites. <laughs> Men, girls, you know, they are so smart. We basically cannot identify what, what has God done? What has Jesus done? See, Timothy was a Jew, probably a learned by memorization. Learned by Q and A, because that's how the Jews do it. It's what we call catechism. These books where you have these questions, and then there's an answer provided by theologians that have given them. You see, let me rush what Paul said. In, Paul said that continue. That's what we see in verse 14. In verse 14, he said continue. That means there has to be a steadiness to this thing. There has to be a day and night thing to it. Someone says, continue the law of God day and night. Joshua 1, God told Joshua, he said, meditate on the word of God day and night. In the morning, do you do your scripture before you look at your phone? Do you do your scripture before you look through your to-do list? Oh, so yeah, the question you're asking yourself, so what am I going to do today? Um, what are my plans for today? But before you ask yourself that, have you asked, what is, what is God's name? What is God? Who is God? Am I being redeemed today? Have you asked yourself, who am I becoming today? By God's grace. Is the world, is my office being redeemed today? This is your primary work. That work you are rushing to is secondary. There has to be a doggedness to it. You continue even when in pain, when it's busy. So Paul gives us two reasons before he conclude. He says in verse, in verse um, 14, he says, you should continue because you have known those for me who lend it. Paul is saying, see, do you know why I should continue despite hardship? Do you know why I should continue doing this thing? He said, look at me. Look at what the word has done in my life. It works. Look at Louis, your grandmother. Look at Eunice, your mother. It works. Continue. Look at the people you respect as Christians. Look at their lives. How have they been transformed? Are they people of the word? Are they people of prayer? They probably are. The second reason Paul gives is say, look at you. Paul is saying, look at you. You see, and how for me, fancy, you have no relationship. He's saying, see, this transformation takes time. That's what he says. He says, it takes time. Look at how far you've come. Look at how you're going. It takes time. But what makes it work? Why does it work? How can I be sure? He has half five by ten says that yes, the word of God goes forth and he does what he's sent to do. Psalm 29 says, the voice of the Lord is powerful. He, it, it makes the desert plain. He breaks the seed of Kedesh. But why is this possible? Because this is the voice of the Lord, and it is what? So my final point. Why does it work? The first is that because all scripture is God-breathed. That's what we see in verse 16. It is as though God exhaled. It's as though God, God spoke. It's as though God, God, God voiced. That is what the scripture is. That's what the word of God is. When we speak, it is our breath passing over our larynx. And then probably 
we make intelligible sounds. Hopefully, it comes out of our mouths. That is when we speak. It's the same thing. It's, scripture is God speaking to us, God communicating to us first. It is the breath of God coming to us. But see something very interesting. Psalm 33, verse 6 says that this very same breath of waiting, by your breath, O God, you have formed the starry heavens. The same very breath of God that, that is scripture is the same very breath of God that formed the world. If this word formed the world, everything including you, then how can it not change you? If you are born again, I mean, this is the best book ever, by the word of God, when you edit or when you read it, how do you think that you can continue to live the Christian life without it, without immersing in it? See, the same spirit that inspired the scriptures live in you. It can make you a living epistle. Jesus quoted scriptures till he died. In fact, he, quoted, he died while quoting scriptures. He died while using scriptures. Because Psalm 22 was quoted when he was on the, on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why art thou forsaken me? He didn't need to. But even in death, Jesus did. See, the second reason is that scripture, this is what we find in verse 15. Scripture is able to make you wise through faith in Christ Jesus. David said, apart from you, O Lord, there is no good thing in Psalm 16. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. No one does good. Paul says, the psalmist says, he say, no one does good, no one does good. But what about Jesus? Jesus went about doing good. He did, in fact, perfect. Not only did Jesus do good work, Jesus finished his own work. He did every good work. Mm-hmm. On the cross, Jesus Christ said, it is finished. Jesus did his good work so that through him, our own imperfect works, our own inconsistent good work can be decided, can be accepted because of the sacrifice of the perfect son. But are we sure? You see, Jesus rose from the dead. Paul was saying in chapter 1, he said, this is the gospel that we preach. Christ Jesus raised from the dead. He rose showing that the judgment for our own evil doing, the judgment for our own impostor act, 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 act has been completely cancelled. He rose so that now we can change, having power to change. So that we can live our lives pleasing unto God. Isn't it good? The scriptures by itself cannot save us. Only through faith in Christ Jesus. That was verse 15 say. He can point to the Savior. He can say this is it, but scripture itself cannot. Scripture points to the Savior. Scripture points to the crucified and risen Lord. The truth is that if Christ did not rise, there's no need to read the Bible. There's no use of the Bible. There will be no Bible. There will be no New Testament. There will be no basis for Old Testament. There will be no power in the text. It will be like every day. It will be like motivational books. It will be like the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. He can, those ones can, it will just be like a book that can show us something about ourselves, something about the world. But you can say this is how things are. But the Bible says no. It doesn't stop it. The Bible says, see, this is it. And this is how you can change. Through faith in Christ Jesus, the one who died and rose. 
It is when we taste and see this law that is good. It is when we continue in this. It is when we take refuge in him like 734 that we will not be condemned. It is when we continue because if we do not, we will always be doing good work with good ma- with, without good manners. We will be doing good work without good motives. We will keep doing good work. Not towards a good end but for our own good. We will abuse scripture. We use it for prosperity. It's just for me to prosper. We misuse scripture. We put it under a pillow, you know, so that you can, so that I can protect from all the evil and all the witches. You will use it just to get facts to argue. You abuse it, you misuse it, or you underuse it, or you will not even use it at all. See, sometimes scripture might be bitter to you. It might be ordinary. It doesn't feel. Sometimes it can be sweet. But when you know that the Lord Jesus, the reason God, is good all the time, you will know that no matter how bitter, no matter how ordinary scripture is tasting, if it is the Lord's voice, then it is good. So I don't want you to give up because you missed the day. I don't want you to give up because you do not understand. I don't want you to give up because the thing is not coming. It's dry. It's not feeling fresh. It's not feeling cool. I want you to consider all these works. I want you to meditate, to taste and see that the Lord is good. This incarnate word is good. And then you begin to see how the Lord's voice, the written word, the good work of God will do good in your life. This is the voice of the Lord and it is transformative. Thank you, Father, for your word. Because it is transformative. Because it is special. Because it is authoritative. Sanctify us, O God, by your word. Judge the thoughts and intents of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.